right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out as he has welcomed a new baby into his family. So congratulations to Derek. He'll be out for a little bit, uh, taking care of that. And I'll be with you here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk until then. Another fun show here, a shorter show here today as we're going to step out of the way at 4.30 for pregame coverage of the KU men's basketball game against UCF with tip-off at 6 o'clock. However, here on KLWN, we will have to switch over to coverage of KU women. They're playing at Allen Fieldhouse tonight against Baylor at 6.15. If you want to hear the entirety of the KU men's broadcast coverage you can head to our sister station 105.9 kiss as well but we'll be ha- we'll be having the pregame coverage at least here for the KU men right here on KLWN so shorter show today uh speaking of KU basketball I want to get into more of what happened around the big 12 and around the country in college basketball lots of interesting results uh from college basketball we'll get into that a little bit later this hour Henry Greenstein of KU sports.com the Lawrence Stern world is going to join the show coming up about 40 minutes from right now and in the 4 o'clock hour, we'll have another edition of the KU Mailbag. If you still want to submit a question, you can do that by uh, hitting us up on our Twitter at RCST1320. If you don't have Twitter or X, you can also send us an email at RCST1320am uh, at gmail.com. So uh, hit us up. Still have time before we get to the KU Mailbag in the 4 o'clock hour. And then, of course, uh, Rock Chuck, Pitcock, and KU Game Picks coming up as well to end the show here on RCST. want to start right here with this. As uh, we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery here on RCST. Let's start here with KU taking on UCF tonight. Second game of conference play for the Jayhawks after they survived that home against TCU on Saturday, 83-81. to And conference play officially underway. And Kansas will resume that here tonight against UCF. Uh, listen, normally I hate the Eastern time zone. But in this case, the Eastern time zone is great because it means that instead of tipping off at 8 o'clock, like KU so often does. Uh, instead, it's a 6 o'clock tip-off on a weeknight. So I absolutely love that. Uh, so shout-out to the Eastern Time Zone for the one thing it, it ever does right at all. Uh, by the way, our uh, KU game previews for basketball are brought to you by CBB Analytics. They have uh, shot charts. They're pretty popular on Twitter. You may have seen them, but if you didn't know where they come from, well, it, it comes from CBB Analytics. If you're a diehard college basketball fan, you'll love this website. It gives you a deeper dive into the numbers for college basketball than any other website out there. And CBB does all the little things right. They even have little color-coded ranks and percentiles to make it very clear uh, what you're looking at. And uh, tons of different splits and what you can look at. And it's used by more than 30 D1 coaching staffs. They use CBB Analytics for opponent scouting. So uh, we are brought to you by CBB Analytics here for our opponent scout of UCF. So UCF is 9-4 and four coming into this game against Kansas. They are 86th overall uh, when you look at Ken Palm, which, by the way, that's the third lowest ranked team in the Big 12. When you look at the Big 12, only Oklahoma State and West Virginia right now are ranked lower than UCF. 
They are 0-1 in the Big 12 after they got smashed on the road in Manhattan against Kansas State. They lost that game 77-52, but it was never a contest. They were down by 16 at the half and just got blown away by Kansas State on the road. So they're 0-1 in conference play at 9-4. They've played a pretty weak schedule up to this point in the season. Uh, In fact, when you look at their schedule, probably their best win is South Dakota State by 3 uh, they beat Charlotte, who's 118th in Ken Palm. That's their best win based off Ken Palm. They won that game in overtime. And uh, every time they played a top 100 team, they have lost. Uh, their four losses are against Miami. Then they lost uh, a tough one against Stetson, who's 190 in Ken Palm. So lost that one at home. And then uh, they lost to Ole Miss. And then, of course, most recently, they lost to Kansas State on the road. And now they uh, host Kansas here tonight. And a couple interesting nuggets here. Uh, there's a bit of a connection here with UCF with Coach uh, Johnny Dawkins, who was uh, the coach at Stanford when Stanford beat Kansas in the NCAA tournament back in 2014 uh, as a 10 seed. And even beyond that, Dawkins was a player at Duke, and his senior season at Duke in 1986, that was the year that Duke beat Kansas in the Final Four. He scored 24 points in the ga- in that game against Kansas as uh, Duke went on to win uh, 71-67 over Kansas in the Final Four in 1986. Uh, so he does have a little bit of a connection to facing KU, both as a player and as a coach. And uh, like I said, for UCF this season, they came in seemingly as probably the worst team of the newcomers to the Big 12 when you look at you know Cincinnati, Houston, and, uh, and BYU as the other three newcomers. UCF, I think, was kind of collectively agreed upon as, as the worst probably of those four. And uh, they've played a pretty soft schedule, as I said. They don't really have any great wins. And every time they've played a team that's even close to the top 100 uh, in terms of the rankings, they have lost. I mean, you look at their rankings. They So they have nine wins, but six of them are outside the top 200. And uh, then they're, they're, they've got another win at 145. So it's it's really not been a great schedule for them so far this season. It is the 292nd worst schedule in the country that they have played to this point. And obviously, they, they, they kind of got exposed by Kansas State. So we'll see what they have to offer here. Uh, like I said, that blasting by Kansas State, I think, was a bit eye-opening. You know, you look at Kansas State, and they're not a team that I don't I think people really expect them to be. They've, of course, had a lot of different stuff going on in, in Manhattan regarding their, their basketball team. But they, they dominated uh, UCF. When you look at loose, when you look at UCF uh, more deeper in terms of what they do well, they are a pretty solid defensive team at least metrically. Metrically, the def- the, the metrics really like the defense. They had the fourth fourth best uh, block percentage in the country as a team, and a lot of that comes off of uh, from their two big men. They've got a seven footer Ibrahima Diallo who has twenty eight blocks on the year, and a six foot ten uh, guy who normally plays starts at the five for them. Omar Payne who has nineteen blocks. Interestingly enough, their seven-footer Diallo is actually comes off the bench. He hasn't started this season. He he plays more of a of a bench role. He's a transfer from Ohio State. This is a team full of transfers. Omar Payne, in fact, their normal starter is a is a two-time transfer from Illinois and from Florida. So they've got a lot of transfers on this team. And uh, when you look at their their bigs, that's kind of where they they are successful. But again, Diallo normally comes off the bench. So I think something maybe to keep an eye on in this game is. I don't know if UCF would consider starting him, knowing they're going up against Hunter Dickinson, uh, or if they would continue to just bring him off the bench uh, to, to maybe, uh, I don't know. I feel like it may make more sense for them to start him at this point. 
But when you look at Hunter Dickinson and things that that could be could give him problems, like matchup wise, what gives him problems? I think you immediately flash back to the Yale game. They had more. They have more of a stretch five, a guy that could move a little bit quicker and could get outside and shoot, and that caused some problems. Then KU made the switch to put KJ Adams on him and really shut him down. You go back to the Indiana game against Kellogg Ware, same deal. It was KJ Adams that they kind of switched on him to play defense. Uh, but neither of these guys for UCF are are real threats offensively. Both of them average six points per game or less. Uh, both of them have scored double digits just one time this season. So in terms of offensive threats, that's not really what these what the big guys are for for UCF. They don't really have a lot of offensive threat. Diallo hasn't attempted a three all season, and Payne has attempted I think just two or three threes on the year. So obviously not much of a shooter. So I think that gives a little bit more confidence if you're KU because again those are the, those are the kind of the things that I think would cause Hunter Dickinson problems when you look at him at the defensive end would be uh, guys that can move quicker and get outside and shoot, and that's not what these bigs are for UCF. So that probably feels, gives you a little more confidence in Hunter Dickinson in this game. And then at the offensive end for Hunter Dickinson, uh, I'll be curious to see what UCF does to try to match up. Like I said, they've been good at getting blocks, but against a guy that's 7-2 in Hunter Dickinson, how do you how do you match up there? Uh, I think is, is going to be kind of an interesting matchup to keep an eye on as how they decide to approach that. Uh, because when you look at Kansas and what they can do in terms of getting to the rim effectively with K.J. Adams, with Hunter Dickinson, uh, and even Kevin McCuller, I guess maybe keep an eye on Kevin McCuller, keep an eye on Marco Jackson and Dewan Harris, the, the smaller guys getting to the rim. And if they can get to the rim with success or if UCF is able to maybe alter some of their shots, that could be something to keep an eye on, certainly. But as I said, UCF overall, they are a pretty strong defensive team. They're in the top 40 in a lot of, in a lot of defensive metrics so far this season. They're pretty good at an effective field goal percentage. Uh, they're a pretty strong rebounding team as well. Uh, and they're also really, really good at forcing turnovers uh, as well. Two of their last three games, granted against weaker opponents, Florida and Ammon, Bethune, Cookman, they turned over both those teams more than 20 times and won both those games by over 20 points. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. But they didn't really turn over Kansas State that much. Kansas State just 12 turnovers against uh, UCF when they played in conference play. So uh, maybe it's a bit of a product of kind of a weaker schedule that they were able to have more success turning teams over. But yeah, they're, they're top 10 in the country in turnover percentage, top 20 in field goal defense, and strong rebounding team at both ends of the floor, which KU just faced a strong rebounding team uh, when you look at the stat sheet against TCU, and Kansas came out plus 12, and offensive rebounds ended up being a big factor for Kansas in the win against TCU. So be curious to see what the rebounding looks like. Uh, UCF offensively, they're really they're really good at offensive rebounds, 33rd in the country in offensive rebounds, 58th in the country in, in terms of giving up in terms of defensive rebounds, giving up offensive rebounds. Uh, so they're pretty good there. But again, the big things for them is the block percentage and the uh, and the turnover percentage of, is, is kind of the two things that they have hung their hat on, at least so far this season when you look at the numbers. Uh, and also uh, their, their two-point percentage. They're 14th in the country, giving up just 43% on two-point shots. And obviously for Kansas, that has been their biggest strength. That's been one of the things that they've that they've – really leaned on to be successful has been their efficiency in terms of shooting twos. So that could be something to keep an eye on. If UCF can maybe uh, disrupt KU in the paint area, slow down Hunter Dickinson, and maybe force KU to, to look more to the perimeter for some of their shooting, that could be a recipe for success for UCF in this game. Obviously, that's easier said than done. Kansas, with their assist rate, with their abilities to cut and their, their team play, they've continue to find success even when teams do try to pack the paint against them I mean you look at a game like the Missouri game where Missouri was that was really their entire game plan was to try to eliminate 
uh, the, the paint area in Kansas was still able to find success and, and win that game. So I'll be curious to see what UCF's defensive strategy is in that situation and, and if KU can also have another game where they rebound the ball well against a team that, when you look at the numbers, does rebound pretty well. Uh, at the other end of the floor, offensively for UCF, they are not a very efficient offensive team, uh, but they can get a lot of offensive rebounds, like I said. Good offensive rebounding team at the uh, at the offensive end, but not very efficient. Their effective field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage is, is one of the worst in the country. Uh, they also give up a lot of steals. They they are turnover prone. Bottom bottom 30 in the country in terms of steal percentage allowed on offense. So when you talk about Kansas and you talk about Dewan Harris and how he's his defense maybe has been a bit not as strong as we're used to seeing it, this could be a game where guys like Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller do step up and can maybe force some more steals against a team that, that has been turnover prone, especially in giving up steals in UCF. And when you think about that, I mentioned UCF strength has been turnovers on 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 defense, but if KU can force a lot of turnovers, then maybe that would kind of mitigate that advantage for UCF if they were able to turn over Kansas quite a bit. Is if the kind of the turnovers, maybe if both teams turn it over, that might still favor Kansas, I would think, uh, if they can maybe disrupt UCF a little more. Uh, so that's something to keep on is is UCF's turnovers as well. I think that's probably the biggest key in this game is going to be turnovers at both ends of the floor. In terms of can UCF force them, and then at the other end, if they can take care of the ball against Kansas. But for Kansas, right, take care of it and uh, force turnovers, and you might have some more success. Uh, but this is not a good. This is not a particularly good three-point shooting team. Uh, not a particularly f- good field goal or uh, free throw shooting team. Uh, so the offense is a bit suspect for UCF. They've had some big games against really bad competition, but when they played better competition, they have struggled to score. Only 52 points against Kansas State, 68 in a loss against Ole Miss. Uh, and when you look at some of their big wins, you know they put up 98 against Bethune-Cookman, who's a bottom 30 team in Ken Palm. So, so uh, their offense, a little bit inefficient, I would say. And they really lean on Jalen Sellers. He's going to be a guy to keep an eye on, certainly tonight. Definitely their best scorer, averaging almost 18 points per game. Uh, but he is coming off of one of his worst performances against Kansas State, in which he just went 3 of 13 from the field. Uh, so, I don't know. Some K fans might hear that and say, oh, boy, this guy just had a bad game. He's going to be coming in jacked up to play Kansas. So, uh, Sellers will be the guy to keep an eye on, averaging almost 18 points per game. Not necessarily a three-point shooter, though. Uh, in fact, he's shooting just 26% from three on 74 attempts so far this season. So, definitely more of a guy you're going to be looking at from the kind of two-point range is probably where he's more of a threat. Averaging 17.8 points per game. Uh, Darius Johnson is, is another guy to keep an eye on. He is definitely probably their best three-point shooter. Uh, he's been shooting very, very well over the, the last month or so. 38 per, Just over 38% from three on the year. And then uh, they've got another pretty decent three-point shooter, Marcellus Avery, who's the guy to keep an eye on. Lower volume, but uh, 41% from three for Avery. Those are really their top two shooters. They don't have anybody else shooting over 29% on decent volume, really. Uh, so it's really just those two guys when it comes to shooting. And obviously, I'm sure Kansas fans are, are still trying to recover from what they saw from Tennyson uh, against TCU. So those would be the two guys to keep an eye on in terms of shooting threes. And again, this UCF team, as a team, not a good three-point shooting team, just just under, just under right over 32% from three, which is uh, certainly below average. So 
Uh, those would be the guys to keep an eye on. And another thing that may concern Cave fans is Avery, who I mentioned was 41% on the year from three. He just went 0-4 from three against Kansas State. So that means maybe he might be due to, to step up. Uh, in, in terms of what UCF does well that I think could impact this game, I think it's got to be the turnovers, right? I talked about it. 10th in the country in turnover percentage uh, and 14th in the country in steal percentage. So they can definitely turn up the heat on defense. And I think considering what Kansas struggled with against TCU is the turnovers, right? 18 turnovers against TCU that led to a lot of points for, for TCU off those turnovers. So that's got to be the biggest concern. But I think when you look at UCF, they are basically just a a crappier version of TCU in a lot of ways. They, they will try to turn the tempo up a little bit, but not nearly in the same way that TCU will. And their defense against lesser competition looks nice, but we'll see what they can do against Kansas. They Again, they aren't, they aren't a particularly fast team per se compared to a uh, compared to a, a TCU, but they can turn the tempo up. They're certainly faster than Kansas, uh, 60th in the country in adjusted tempo for 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 UCF. So uh, maybe they have a similar strategy to what TCU employed, which is try to force a lot of live ball turnovers and try to ratchet up the tempo a little bit. And maybe they can lean into that uh, to to try to help them mitigate maybe some of the disadvantages that they have against Kansas. So that's going to be something definitely to keep an eye on is that tempo and is that defense for UCF and if they can force turnovers. And conversely, if you're Kansas, right, Dewan Harris, uh, even though he's been much maligned, I, uh, he's still an elite point guard on one of the best teams in the country, right? He's still a guy that can do a great job facilitating. It's just that I think he's kind of almost entered into that stratosphere of you don't really notice when he is facilitating at a high level. You don't really notice when things are going well for him, but everyone kind of points out when he turns it over and when he does struggle, right? But he'll certainly be someone to keep an eye on in this game, taking care of the ball. And then I'm, I'm going to be spotlighting on Marco Jackson in this game as well, just because you have a great game against Wichita State, come back to start conference play, and just didn't quite look in rhythm against TCU, looked a little erratic, looked like maybe the Big Twelve, the stage of, of Big 12 play maybe kind of got to him a little bit, didn't score in the game against TCU. Uh, so I'll be keeping an eye on, on El Marco Jackson as well and kind of how he plays now after, after getting that experience uh, in Big 12 play, now coming into a, an environment against UCF uh, on the road. And this is a UCF team that, you know, again, if you're Kansas, you're getting everyone's best shot, right? This is a UCF team that this is just their second sellout in the history of their arena that they play at. The only other time they had a sellout was in the NIT back in like 2017. So fans definitely are going to show up for UCF in this game because they're playing Kansas. And that's just part of being Kansas, right? That's just part of being Kansas. Every team gets up for you, no matter who they are, no matter what the circumstances are, they will get up. And if you're Kansas, you got to be ready for that. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. But Marco Jackson certainly is a guy that I'll, I'll be interested in. And then with Hunter Dickinson matching up against the bigs for UCF, like I outlined previously, I'll just be curious how he plays, right? Uh, 30 points against TCU. That's not something, that's not a pace they'll probably be able to keep up throughout conference play. But when you look at some of the teams in conference, not a lot of them have a really a dominant big man that they could match up with with Hunter Dickinson. TCU does have a couple of guys that seem like they're pretty strong on defense. Uh, so maybe they are one of the few conference teams that maybe could possibly have somebody, at least from a maybe a physicality standpoint, match up well with Hunter Dickinson. So I'll be interested to see how he plays. And then, again, from the TCU's, from KU's perspective, defensively, Kevin McCuller matching up against uh, probably Johnson or, or Avery. And then uh, Sellers, obviously, probably going to be going against DeJuan Harris. Uh, those will be some of the defensive matchups to keep an eye on uh, for Kansas. And I, I do want to see DeJuan Harris have 
uh, a really, really lockdown game. I'm kind of waiting for it, but I do want to see it a little bit. So uh, I want to see if he can kind of turn that up, turn it up on defense. This could be a game where he might be able to do that for Kansas. So I think KU wins this game. Again, if they just go out and take care of business, take care of the ball, uh, you know, I don't think KU has to play an A game or even a B-plus game. They could probably win this game going away, playing a B game if they don't have a lot of mental errors and a lot of mistakes, right? Uh, that's that's kind of the way I view this game. Is I don't think KU needs to necessarily be playing at, at a high level to win this game against UCF, but I think they will certainly have to at least execute at a competent level to where they're not giving the ball away and, and playing smart at that end of the floor with the ball on offense because I think that's kind of UCF's path back into this game is if they can kind of ugly up the game a little bit, force a lot of turnovers, keep Kansas out of rhythm, and maybe turn up the tempo a little bit and, and try to uh, get some of their perimeter shooters going. And that's, that, that is something I'll be keeping an eye on, certainly, is UCF's three-point shooting. They were bad against Kansas, against Kansas State. Uh, now, now they welcome in Kansas. What does that shooting look like for them uh, tonight in this game against the Jayhawks? So I feel pretty confident about KU getting the win here against UCF. And, you know, we, we've talked about how in Big 12 play, typically there aren't very many games where you can just waltz in and maybe get a win. And on paper, this looks like it could be that type of game for KU, where maybe they just kind of walk in and, and get a win. Potentially, right? Uh, UCF, as I said, one of the worst teams in the Big 12 ratings-wise, probably one of the worst teams in the Big 12 in terms of the additions that you added. So, uh, but again, it's a road game. It's a road game in the Big 12, and Kansas can't can't take that for granted because we saw a couple teams in the Big 12 come close to losing and or lose on the road in a conference play that I want to talk a little bit more, a little bit more about coming up next. We'll take a short time out right now. That's a preview of KU and UCF. That game coming up at 6 o'clock tonight uh, with the tip-off. Pre-game coverage is going to start at 4.30, so we'll have a shorter show here on RCST. But again, we are going to uh, step away from that coverage at 6.15 here on KLWN to get to coverage of KU women's basketball taking on Baylor at 6.30 tonight at Allen Fieldhouse. If you do want the entirety of the KU men's coverage, you'll be able to hear that on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. We'll return to the men's coverage after the conclusion of the women's game here tonight on at KLWN. All right, we'll take a short time out. When we come back, do you want to break down some of the big news that happened around the world of college basketball, both in the Big 12 and nationally? That's next here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Welcome back into Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Just past 3.30 here on RCST. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out. And uh, there were some big results around the college basketball world last night, uh, including in the Big 12, and some big results uh, favoring Kansas as well. So start off with this. Number one, Purdue. They go to Nebraska and lose big. Nebraska just beats them up 88-72. to Nebraska picks up a, a huge win. A 16-point win. They were up 11 at the half and just kept going, kept taking it to Purdue, and Purdue loses on the road uh, against Nebraska. So a uh, big win there for the Cornhuskers, who the basketball, man, they look like they might be somewhat legit now, and they have a big win at home against Purdue. So number one goes down. And then earlier in the night, number two also went down. Houston, welcome to the Big 12, fellas. <laughs> How do you liking it so far? What do you think? Rolling into Ames, thinking they can get a W, and Iowa State beats them. By the way, Iowa State got up big early, and Houston did a really a good job of responding and fighting back in the game. But Iowa State hangs on. They got a big shot late. 
uh, on a fadeaway from a freshman to win that game 57-53 to over Houston. So, by the way, Houston was the last undefeated team in all of college basketball. So, guess what? No more undefeated teams left in uh, 2024. So, that's pretty cool. Uh, Iowa State takes down Houston. Welcome to the Big 12, Houston. Uh, now, I think a lot of people are going to use this to say, well, Houston sucks. Houston's not that good. Uh, listen, KU should know this. K- I mean, KU fans should know this better than anybody. Going into Ames and getting a win, regardless, is not easy, right? So I think Houston is still a, a pretty big threat in the Big 12, but certainly that's a big loss for the Cougars early in conference play. And we've talked about it, you know, with Kansas. And in fact, Graham Doran from Bracketology was, was on, from Graham Doran Bracketology was on the show uh, last week and talked about this. You know, if we're eight or nine games in, or basically we're about to turn the calendar into February, when you consider the start to conference play that Kansas has and what they have left, if they have, if they could have maybe a two-game lead over over Houston, uh, heading into that stretch of tough games for KU in February, that that could be enough possibly for them for them to 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 win the Big Twelve at that point. So, definitely very significant. Number one and number two go down, and of course Kansas sitting at number three. So you figure KU should uh, be in contention for the number one ranking coming next week. Obviously, Kansas does have a big game at home against Oklahoma, but if they win against Oklahoma and take care of business side against UCF, certainly I think they would be number one uh, in the country. So a couple of big losses there by the number one and the number two teams in the country that certainly helped Kansas. And we looked around the rest of the Big 12. There were some very interesting results really just around the Big 12 in totality from last night. Texas goes to Cincinnati and barely hangs on. A one-point win for Texas. Dylan DeSue, by the way, 33 points in that game uh, for Texas. I think he was a bit banged up earlier in the season, but seems he seems to be back and had a huge game for Texas as they were able to hang on against Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, I think that maybe kind of pokes a hole a little bit in my theory of maybe this is a game for KU on the road against UCF. They can waltz in and get a win. But uh, even with even the newcomers, even with Cincinnati, uh, it seems to be tough to win on the road. But Houston, but uh, Texas did find a way to get that win, 74-73. to Baylor took down BYU. Uh, so BYU, kind of the metric darlings, a team that – uh, by by all accounts, was a top five team. If you were looking at just the metrics, they seem to be maybe not as good. 0-2 start to conference play for BYU. They lose at home against Baylor. Baylor's a fascinating team. I continue to try to figure them out. I think they're a team that could definitely beat anybody in the conference, but also feels like they could lose and lose to anybody. Right? They seem to be a little bit hot and cold. Uh, but they're they're two and zero to start conference play with a win uh, at home against BYU. By the way, a lot of people were talking about the new arena for Butte for Baylor. Not so much the arena, but the camera angle on the broadcast. It was, it was terrible. It was like it looked like you were on, they were on the roof. I don't even know how to exp- I don't even know how to to quite describe it. Uh, so uh, maybe a bit tough there for Baylor. So, but they they did get the win though. And then Texas Tech smashed Oklahoma State. Boy, I, I tell you what, Oklahoma State looks they look they look done. I mean, they look like they are going to be a really bad team. Them and o- them and West Virginia both, I think, are just very very much down in the dumps and do not look good at all. Uh, Oklahoma State lost big to Texas Tech by 17, 90 to 73. Uh, Bryce Thompson scored 17 points for Oklahoma State, by the way. But man, uh, <laughs> it's tough for Oklahoma State. Uh, I I I would assume that Mike Boynton has to be gone. You know, I think he got quite a bit of leeway because of the NCAA stuff and missing the tournament and getting there from the tournament, and all that stuff. But but gosh, they're just not a good team. So I ah, man, I don't know about that one. And then West Virginia just really struggling as well. Kansas State beats them by 14 in Morgantown. Big win for Kansas State. And, you know, for all the for all the stuff that Kansas State has dealt with, uh, you know, in terms of off the court, 
They're sitting at two and zero in Big Twelve play. They're twelve and three right now on the season, so they seem to have maybe stabilized a little bit. Uh, and they're a team that I don't know. I feel like they're probably still like the fifth or sixth or seventh best team in the conference, but you never know with those guys with uh, with Jerome Tang. So we'll see. So that's a little bit of a quick look around at uh, what happened around the Big Twelve last night. As for tonight, besides KU and UCF, the only other game is Oklahoma and TCU in Fort Worth. All right, we take a short time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Talk a little bit more about KU uh, and TCU, a little bit of KU and UCF, and I might get a little bit of football talk in there as well with Henry. That's coming up next here on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson out as he uh, celebrates the birth of his uh, newborn baby. So he'll be out for a little bit uh, tending to his newborn baby. So, uh, But the show goes on. The show goes on. And on Wednesdays, we are joined right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk by none other than Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World. And Henry has the pleasure of being out in Orlando for the UCF game tonight where I'm sure the weather is much nicer than it is back here in, uh, in Lawrence. Yeah, well, interestingly, my flight was almost derailed by thunderstorms here on the ground in Orlando, but today it's perfectly sunny, and I feel very fortunate to be here and not in Lawrence, at least for a 48-hour period. <laughs> yeah, I might have to hit the pool or something down there, but that that's awesome. Uh, well, before KU takes on uh, UCF tonight, they had that game against TCU on Saturday. It was certainly, a, I think, a much closer game than maybe people expected. KU did ultimately get the win, but... I guess coming out of that game uh, against TCU, Henry, what what was maybe kind of your biggest takeaway from from Kansas pulling that one out of the fire late? I mean, it shows you how often Dewan Harris's crisp passing is taken for granted because when he does worse, it, it can have such a measurably massive impact on a team. I think that was one aspect in the in the turnover battle. It also just shows you how deadly turnovers can be against a team that that prides itself so much on getting out on the break this is what bill self said afterward and i have a suspicion that ucf will look to go pretty fast as well they're not quite on the same level as tcu but they average more possessions per game than ku so if things start out poorly in that regard it this game too could be closer than a lot of people anticipate but yeah i think that that is the one storyline people have seized on from the tcu game and for good reason I mean, that was a really well-played basketball game overall, but it's not nearly that close if KU can prevent giving up 22 points off turnovers. Yeah, I think DeWan Harris has entered into this interesting kind of stratosphere of you don't notice when he's playing well, but certainly when he when he has yeah. struggles, people jump on him, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's that stat going around about how Kansas has won every single game where he scores 10 points or more except for the Arkansas game in the tournament last year. So every game where Dewan Harris has scored 10 points and Bill Self is coaching, KU has won. And I think that's like up to 29 or 30 games at this point. And uh, his scoring was certainly on point at times. Uh, he, made, he made that incredibly difficult shot near the end of the game. 
Um, the aggression, I feel, appears to be trending in the right direction, but you have to make sure he can still be aggressive while also retaining the things that made him a good player in the first place. Bill Self had talked about uh, earlier in the offseason about how maybe too much was being made of that fifth starting spot and how maybe it was more important about who the guys on the floor were at the end of the game. Well, the guy that was on the floor at the end of the game for Kansas against CCU was Johnny Furphy. Do you feel like maybe he's starting to turn a corner into becoming more of a more of that reliable guy that, that Kansas can consistently uh, turn to on the bench? I think he has, but I I still think El Marco will be the starter going forward because really Self hasn't shown any indication he wants to deviate from that for pretty much any reason. But I definitely think Furphy is doing a lot to solidify himself as the main guy off the bench. He's proving to be quite versatile. He's doing a good job at both ends. I think I saw some statistic about how the lineup of the four starters and Furphy is like the fifth best in all of college basketball or something. And, you know, obviously those four are pulling quite a bit of the weight, but I think Furphy complements them quite nicely with the athleticism he can provide, the shooting they sorely lack. And it's easy to see why they function well with him out there, especially because of his length and size, too, on the defensive end as he continues to improve there. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to see how he continues to develop going forward down the stretch in Big 12 play. Yeah, when you look at Marco Jackson, I'm glad you brought him up because – Coming off of maybe his best game of his career against Wichita State, had a couple highlight plays, and then he it's kind of a dud against TCU, right? I guess, what are kind of your thoughts on him as conference play continues here for Kansas and maybe how important he can be as a fifth starter? Well, I mean, I think Self has been saying all along, like, if he reaches his ceiling, he's the most important player to get to that point to ensure that KU can also reach its ceiling, and I continue to believe that's the case. I think that's well-observed by Self, and I am... Um, you know, there were moments early in the TCU game where it looked like he was trying to emulate what he did against Wichita State, but then he really faded to the background after that. I mean, there was that stretch in the second half where Self substituted out all three freshmen in the span of a minute and 26 seconds, and I felt like we were back at the beginning of the season. Like, that was just such a showing of a lack of confidence in them on his part. Um but, yeah, I think El Marco needs to continue to attack even when the first, like, two attacks don't go his way, I guess, because I think that if he had stuck with that a bit more. And, and maybe in a game that's as, as back and forth as a TCU one is, it takes an extra level of confidence to put the offense on your shoulders. And I don't know if he has that yet, but he'll, he'll probably need to build that up as, as the weeks go on. Yeah, that sequence you referenced uh, in the game where Bill Self took out his freshman, that really piqued my interest as well. I almost wondered if maybe it was something to the sort of, you know, hey, this is Big 12 basketball, like you need to step your play up or something like that. Did you feel like there was any anything more to that, basically, of him kind of making that decision? Or I mean, obviously, in the game, Jamar McDowell comes in, double dribbles, and is out immediately. Maybe it was just a quick hook because of the tight game, but what was kind of your read on that, that sequence of the game? Yeah, well, I wanted to ask Bill about it afterward, but I made the classic journalistic mistake of kind of coupling it with another question about how Nick Timberlake played. So, of course, he just told me how Nick Timberlake played, and I didn't get to hear about that. So, blunder on my part. Otherwise, I'd have a better answer for you. But like I said, I mean, that was just a testament to the fact that we're still that KU still isn't getting the level of reliability that it needs out of that spot. Um, and sort of, I guess, Bill demonstrating, like, the high level of mistake-free play that is necessary to, to earn a spot in a high-stakes conference game like that. And I, I don't know if they're quite there just yet. Looking ahead to, to UCF tonight, uh, an interesting matchup. You know, 
kind of the mantra of the Big 12 is, you know, any night you go on the road, it could be tough to win. This, But this is a UCF team that's probably the worst of the newcomers coming to the Big 12, so it, it is kind of an intriguing matchup from that standpoint, I guess. But uh, what are you kind of looking for heading into this game uh, as KU goes on the road for the first time in Big 12 play? Uh, well, I'm looking for a stronger start than against Indiana, the only other true road game we have to compare it to. I think the atmosphere in addition financial arena is going to be pretty good, but I don't think it'll be quite Assembly Hall. Certainly not as steep as Assembly Hall, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I think just getting the crowd out of it early would, would go a long way. Um, you don't have to be super insanely good, but just playing better than they did against Indiana on the, to open the game would be a start. And, of course, that goes along with limiting turnovers. Like I said, UCF, a reasonably fast team, not, not to the same level as TCU. And then also defending the perimeter. I believe Darius Bradwell for UCF is shooting like 50% from beyond the arc since the start of December. I think 17 of 34, something along those lines. He's a real threat to score from there. We saw what Tennyson did, although Tennyson really just could not miss from anywhere. Um, and then Jalen Sellers is really a potent scorer, so figuring out a way to limit him as much as possible. He's third behind Dickinson and McCuller and scoring in the Big 12 right now. Granted, UCF has had a really weak schedule, but those are the two players that, that you need to hone in on defensively, and I think if they can lock those two guys down, it will be significantly easier to deal with the rest of the offense. Yeah, you know, we didn't get to hear from Bill Self uh, in a pregame press conference before this game because of the of the weather that was going on in Lawrence before they had to leave. Uh, but I just wonder, you know, considering the turnover issues that Kansas had against TCU and you're facing a UCF team that is top 20 in a lot of metrics in terms of forcing turnovers, I just wonder how much how much of a priority can you put on that heading into this game and how important you think that will be again, especially playing on the road this time? I mean, like I said, everyone inside and outside of the program has been talking about that pretty much constantly since the game happened, at least when they weren't talking about the flagrant foul call. So I think that's certainly something Self will have gotten after them about. Um, I think they need to do a better job of playing in their system and and not getting sped up, as they put it. The, The phrase sped up has come up two times this season. Once after they lost to Marquette and once after the TCU game, both of those games they turned the ball over 18 times. I do not think it is a coincidence that they felt they turned the ball over because they were playing sped up. So just being more slow and methodical in the way they go about it, and a lot of pressure is on who the fifth spot to be more slow and methodical. Um, just not getting easily rattled, shaking off mistakes, things like that. I think there's a, there's a significant mental component as well. Yeah, and this is just the second time that uh, UCF has sold out the arena. It just goes to show that, you know, when Kansas comes to town, people people show up and you, you have a bit of a target on your back. Uh, Henry, I did want to switch over to, to football real quick. There was some interesting news in, on the football side. Uh, Kansas football finishes the season ranked in the AP poll, number 23 in the AP poll, to finish the, the 24 season after the national championship earlier this week. I, I guess uh, for you, how, how significant do you think that is? How significant do you think it is or how important do you think it is that KU finished the season ranked? Does it matter, or is it more of a big deal, do you think? I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's less of a big deal than a lot of other things that happened this year, but uh, always nice to have a number next to your name. I think it allows the players to acknowledge how far they've come, but also acknowledge that players, that uh, sorry, that opposing teams won't be underestimating them as much anymore. I don't even really think they were underestimated much this past year, but certainly not now. Um I think that's really the main the main role of play, just as, as a testament to the the extent to which KU has moved up the national hierarchy. 
um, and how it will be perceived by other programs throughout the nation as a result. KUS continue to try to be fairly active in the transfer portal. They did get a big commit from uh, an offensive lineman, a center from the D2 level, Shane Bumgardner. I guess maybe on its surface, you think, oh, a D2 commit doesn't really pop that much, but considering what KU just did with Dominic Pooney, a D2 guy, I guess how big of a commitment do you think that is to possibly sure up the interior of the offensive line? Well, it certainly addresses a position of need, which is something that I really don't think KU has done much of in the portal so far. I mean, you can argue Dylan Woodkey fills a position of need, but I'm not sure he's quite the same pass-rushing kind of defensive end that, that Booker was. I mean, that's obviously a, a high bar to clear. But And then Devin Dye and, and Deshaun Hanniga really are only sort of needs. So it, it was nice to see... Uh, with uh, especially with Michael Ford apparently not being the center next year, which seems what seems like what's happening now. They have Bumgarner. It was nice to see KU replenish the offensive line after the departures of Armand Reed Adams and Spencer Lovell. Now, granted, I think they still need one or two more offensive linemen, particularly those who can play on the interior, like Logan Brown and James Livingston. May be good depth at the tackle spots. Logan Brown could potentially even challenge for a starting spot if he's healthy, but I'm not totally sure where things go at guard beyond Michael Ford and Kobe Baines if Bumgarner is the starting center. Do you feel like KU's biggest needs continue to be on the trenches on both sides, offensive line and D-line? I do. Now, I mean, I'd love to see, I'd love to see them pick up a linebacker because otherwise you're just sort of going with a worse version of the unit you had. I, that's maybe not a generous way to put it, but a more depleted version of the unit you had this year. So I, I would love to see them bring in, like, one new linebacker. But, yeah, I think the most pressing things are interior line on both defensive and offensive sides still. Yeah, and when and when you look at KU heading into next season in, in a new Big 12, right, you're going to have a new Big 12. Arizona actually was the team ranked highest uh, to end the season in the Big 12, I guess. Are you buying into the idea that this could be a top two, top three team that could truly be uh, in the Big 12 title game next, next season? Well, it's really hard to say. I mean, that seems to be the consensus. I, I am not totally sure how KU will fare uh, when it has to play the likes of those, of those high-level Pac-12 teams coming over because we just don't have any history in that domain. But certainly, I believe that of the teams that are sticking around from the previous Big 12, it's right up there with, with Oklahoma State and K-State in terms of teams that should be the, the favorites from that group. But it's hard to say just how those three will compare to the likes of Utah and, and Arizona next year. He is Henry Greenside of the Lawrence Journal World. Uh, Henry, anything else, Anything you want to talk about going on on uh, KSports.com right now? Yeah, just keep an eye out for, for our basketball coverage. I'm, I'm getting pretty in-depth these days. I also have a football story coming out that, while not like super innovative in any way, I, I worked pretty hard to get a hold of, so that should be out tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that as well. Sounds good, and also, uh, you know, maybe hit maybe hit the pool for all of us here in Lawrence. So uh, you know, make us a little <laughs> more jealous while you're while you're down there in Orlando. <laughs> sure thing. All right, thanks, Henry. All right, thank you. I, I uh, appreciate you having me on as always. That was Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com joining us here on Rock Shock Sports Talk. Be sure to check out all the latest work there from Henry, and also you can find our best of RCSD podcast at KUSports.com as well. As a reminder, shorter show here today, one hour down, only about 30 minutes to go. We're going to step out for pregame coverage of KU men's basketball taking on UCF, which Henry just talked about and also broke it down a little bit in the 
earlier in the show. Uh, if you didn't miss that, you can check it out on the Best of RCST podcast ahead of tonight's matchup against UCF. So we'll be out at 4.30 for coverage of that. But as a reminder, we'll be switching our coverage from KU men to the KU women coming up at 6.15 right here on KLWN as they're taking on Baylor at home tonight with a 6.30 tip. Uh, if you do want to hear the entirety of the KU men's coverage, you'll be able to hear that on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. We'll be switching back to the men's coverage after the women's game concludes uh, here on KLWN, but we do have to have the women's game here on KLWN. So for the entirety of the men's game, you can find that on our sister station on 105.9 KISS. As I said, one hour down, about 30 minutes to go. KU Mailbag coming up next. And also we're going to get to Rock Chalk Pickahawk and Game Picks coming up here before we wrap up the show today. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out. And a shorter show here today. We'll be out here in about... 30 minutes or so as we'll step aside for pregame coverage of the KU men's basketball coming up at 4.30 leading into a 6 o'clock tip-off for the KU men right here on KLWN. We will have to switch over to coverage of the KU women coming up at 6.15 for a 6.30 tip-off as the women take on Baylor at Allen Fieldhouse tonight. And if you want to hear the entirety of the KU men's basketball broadcast, you can check that out over on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. We'll return to the conclusion of the men's coverage here on KWN after the women's game is done. All right. It's time now for my favorite segment of the week. That's right. The KU Mailbag here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thanks so much to everybody that submitted questions for this week. And if you want to submit a question as we do this segment every week, you can always head to our Twitter or X at RCST1320. DM, reply, tweet at us, whatever, however, whichever way you can do it. Or if you don't have social media, you can also email us, 1320am at gmail.com if you want to send us an email for a question. Let's jump right into it here on this week's edition of the KU Mailbag. First up from Jackson. What would basketball be like if it was an outdoor sport? Would KU be even better basketball at bas- would KU be an even better basketball team if they played in the snow? This is an interesting question. I think really the way you'd have to look at it is so you know football guys when you watch football, a lot of times you see guys wearing short sleeves, you see guys whatever when it's cold, trying to act tough, not wearing a lot. But inherently, I think with football. The pads probably provide you with a little bit of warmth, I would think. And you're wearing a helmet, which probably helps keep like your head and your ears, things like that, warm. So I think the real question here is, if you had to play basketball outside in like weather like this, what would you be wearing? Uh, you know, would you would you be wearing gloves to keep your hands warm? And obviously that would significantly impact shooting. You know, would you be wearing a, you know long sleeves or a lot of extra you know pants and you know maybe that limits your mobility in some way. That's the first part of this question that I think is interesting. <clears throat> the second part is this. If we're playing it outdoors, are we going to play it in such a manner to where we're going to make sure that the court is not icy? I would assume we would have to for like injury per- injury protection purposes. But you know, what if the court is icy? Then that totally mitigates any ability to like cut or make play or you know things like that. Jumping even would be severely impacted. I think it would definitely I'll just say this. I, I, I don't know. It would be simultaneously not fun to watch, but also maybe somewhat entertaining for a little bit of it. But uh, 
it would be quite fascinating. I think there's a lot of different aspects of this question that you have to consider. Uh, and like, cause like the biggest one to me is like, if you're going to wear gloves, cause how, how are you going to shoot at that point? And if you're not going to wear gloves, if your hands are frozen again, how are you going to shoot? So uh, luckily basketball is not an outdoor sport. I think it would look pretty messy if it was, but uh, yeah, I, I, in terms of KU, I, I don't know if KU would be a better team. I, I don't know. I don't know how you could possibly be better if the game is played outdoors. Uh, like the, I guess you know, uh, relatively speaking, so to speak. So I'm a bit unsure on that one, to be honest. Uh, Jackson also asked, "Would you make a would you make a better college basketball coach or a college football coach?" Well, the good news is I already have the answer to that question for you. My freshman year at KU, 2016, my freshman year, I actually enrolled in a class called the Coaching of Basketball, and I took a Coaching of Basketball class. And the class was literally the X's and O's of coaching basketball. And our final in that class, it was a two-part final. It was awesome, actually. Part one of the final was you had to get up in front of the rest of the class and give a pregame speech, basically like before a big game. That was that was, that was was number one. Number one was you had to get up in front of the class and, and give a pregame speech before, before a game. Number two was we had to go out then to the basketball courts uh, down at Robinson and basically... You, the other part of the final was you had to drop a play for your classmates and have them execute the play. And depending on how well the play worked and how well it was executed, you would get a grade off that. So it was a very, very fun class. There were a couple KU basketball players in there. Uh, blast from the past for some KU fans. LeGerald Vick and Carlton Bragg were two of, <clears throat> were two of my classmates in that class. Uh, so I think undoubtedly I would be a better college basketball coach. Because, I don't know, man, like... College football, especially in today's era of college football with the NIL and whatnot, like you almost have to be more of like a manager type. Like, like even when I think of Lance Leipold, you know, I, I think other people have used this term to describe Lance Leipold already as more of like the CEO of K football, right? It's like a, just kind of a high level management person. And me, I don't have really that level of experience. Whereas with college basketball, you got to manage, you know, 15 kids, it's a lot easier. Uh, so I would think I would definitely make a better college basketball coach uh, than a football coach. So uh, that, that's my answer. Next from Mitch. What is one KU fo- what is one player for KU football you think takes a big leap next year? Another interesting question. When you look at the offense, like what does a big leap look like for Devin Neal? Is he a Heisman finalist? What, you know, and a guy like Jalen like Daniels, for instance, what does a big leap look like for him? Or even at the wide receiver position. Does the big leap for LJ Arnold or Luke Grimm look like one of them is a thousand yard receiver or a Quentin Skinner? You know, maybe you can make the argument that Trevor Cardell makes a big leap uh, when you look at the offensive line. I mean, I think if Calvin Clements is a starter and ends up being like pretty good right off the bat as a redshirt freshman, I would consider that a big leap, right? Uh, when you look at the defense, I mean, Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers. They're just a really solid duo, but I don't know that either one of them is poised for like a big leap. You could look at Jeremy Robinson, a guy who we kind of postulated about a lot this previous offseason about, well, could he take a big leap with the absence of Lonnie Phelps? Little did we know at the time, KU bought an Austin Booker, and he kind of basically took that over. So maybe Jeremy Robinson would be a pick on the defense. Uh, when you look at the linebacker position, maybe Jason Gilliam taking over the starting role for, for Craig Young. What does that look like? Does he take a big leap forward? You know, in the secondary... Kobe Bryant, Melo Dotson, those guys. Uh, and then on the back half, you know, O.J. Burroughs. You know, does a big leap forward for O.J. Burroughs mean that he 
gets a couple inter- gets like you know five or six interceptions maybe uh, in the in the back half of the secondary. So there's a couple candidates. Uh, I would look towards maybe Calvin Clements, Jason Gilliam, uh, Jeremy Robinson again. If you think maybe he could be a guy that steps up and is getting maybe eight nine sacks next year as being kind of the lead guy on the pass rush for KU. But again, I, I think it's almost hard to determine a big leap for some of these returners for KU because, again, what does a big leap look like for Devin Neal? What does a big leap look like for Jalen Daniels? What does a big leap look like for Melo Dotson, who had multiple pick sixes last season, or Kobe Bryant, right? So, uh, interesting question for sure. Uh, Mitch also asked, any concerns about the offensive line losing three starters? Yes, and I think right now it's being kind of glossed over is not a big deal, but I do think this is going to become an offseason talking point of, okay, you've got all these skill position guys plant returning, but if you can't block for them, that could be a problem. So I I am a little concerned, yes. Shane Baumgartner, the commit they got from Tiffin University, they do commit to play center. Uh, I, again, I think from talking with Kevin Flaherty yesterday, which if you missed that, you can check it out on the Best of RCSD podcast. Uh, I think it's safe to assume that Shane Bumgarner is going to step in and be a starter. I feel like otherwise, K, you probably wouldn't go after him. But there's definitely some question marks, right? Because, again, Calvin Clements as a registered freshman, is he going to even get the starting job? Could Logan Brown possibly take that starting job? And then uh, on the interior, right, you've got Michael Ford and Kobe Baines, but it doesn't really seem like you have any real notable depth beyond that. Uh, so I do think there is some question marks there. And I think that I have a, a sense that that could become a bigger storyline throughout the offseason of, Whoa, KU's got all these skill position guys back. Jalen Daniels, Devin Neal, the wide receivers. But the offensive line, if they can't block, could be a problem. So we'll see. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm early on. Obviously, it's very early in the offseason, but I am a little bit concerned. This question from Matt. Uh, would you rather have one week of frozen slush, snow, and negative temperatures or one week of 120-plus heat index? Ah, man. Uh, yes, the old, the old age-old question of would you rather be hot or cold. Man, this is tough because... I lived in South Texas for a couple years, and it was awesome. I didn't I didn't wear pants for like two years while I lived down there. It was shorts and a t-shirt every day. It was great. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, but I do like Kansas, and and uh, it's tough though because this weather does suck. But man, I, I don't know. And I, I didn't I didn't used to be this way when I was a kid. I don't know if this is just part of getting older or not. But I have I sweat significantly more like back sweat, you know, not to get too into too much details, but a lot of sweat I get a lot more than I used to when I was a kid. And so that I and I hate that. I hate that about the heat. The other thing I hate about the heat is I have I, ha, I have a hard time sleeping if it's really, really hot. I, I really I like to have blankets on top of me. And if it's hot, it just doesn't work. So those are the big drawbacks for me of the heat. But obviously, when you have the frozen slush, snow, negative temperatures that looks like we're going to have this weekend, it sucks too because you just the big thing about this this type of weather is it just makes you not want to do anything like it just makes you want to just sit down and do nothing right which can be great if it's the weekend but you know like when you have to go out and try to do a job or you know get out in the elements it's terrible so oh man i don't know i mean i would almost still almost lean i'd rather have this though the frozen slush snow than 120 plus heat index because same deal you can't even get outside really at that point like you can go to the pool but it's still miserable yeah, I don't know, man. I, I would almost rather take the cold at this point, I think. But it's not. It's 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 the lesser of two evils, I think, for sure. This question comes from Dave. You can either guarantee KU basketball is in the Sweet 16 with all double-digit seeds surrounding their region left, or you can guarantee that KU beats K-State in football next year. Go. Uh, to me, this is a no-brainer. 
I would take KU to beat K State in football easily to guarantee it. Uh, that's that would be my that would be my guarantee 100% because you know KU basketball can make this for Sweet 16 and even if there are some two or three seeds in the region or whatever, I still feel like KU is going to have a pretty good chance to maybe beat some of those teams, right? So I would take my chances there with uh, KU basketball possibly being able to win in the second weekend, even against, you know, single-digit seeds, if it means that KU, KU guaranteed to beat K-State football. So I, to me, this is kind of a no-brainer. I mean, I, listen, I've been all about it. KU beating K-State, when it happens, it's it's going to be a real cathartic moment for the KU football program, and it, it, it's going to mean a lot for them when it does happen. Uh, and I think it would be awesome. And, you know, think about it, think about it this way. In next year, it's going to be in Manhattan, right? If KU marches into Manhattan and beats K-State, you know, let's say they're both top 25 teams, which is very, very possible, and KU goes into Manhattan and beats K-State, that would be very, very significant, certainly. So I would take that, and I would roll the dice with KU basketball, being able to still beat, I think, some other single-digit seeds. And listen, double-digit seeds can be sometimes more scary. Once they're hot and they get to the second weekend, I mean, geez, you think about some of those teams from Syracuse, uh, there was a double-digit Miami team even further back. You think like George Washington, or not George, George Mason uh, was a double-digit seed, I believe. So, dude, you get a double-digit seed in the second weekend, that's almost more scary in some cases. So definitely I'll take uh, KU beats K-State in football. Uh, this one from Isaac. Who's a KU basketball recruit and transfer you were convinced would be good but just weren't? Uh, I think the biggest one, and I, Derek and I have actually talked about this one in the past, I think previously, was probably Sheck Diallo. Uh, a, top, very, a very, very highly rated recruit that just didn't ever really panned out. Uh, Cliff Alexander, I think, is another one that comes to my mind. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you could throw Billy Preston in there or not. I mean, it seemed like he was going to be good, but then the off-the-court stuff kind of derailed that. Uh, so it wasn't that he wasn't good. It's just that he didn't get to play, obviously. Uh, so I think Sheck Diallo probably tops my list. And then we think, when you think of transfers, obviously, you know, transfers in the more recent memory, there's a lot more of them. Um... I mean, I mean, listen, you can go as recent as like a Joe Yesifu, right? A guy who was really, really good at Drake, went off in the tournament for Drake, comes to KU, and it just it just never quite consistently clicked for him. So maybe a transfer. But yeah, Sheck Diallo to me is the biggest recruit, I think, that maybe uh, I, I think would, would have been good, but just wasn't uh, there. A last question here from Jeff. If you had to replace Bill Self with a fictional character, who would it be? Oh, there's so many different avenues that you could go with this question uh, in terms of fictional characters. My initial thought was like, oh, man, I mean, first of all, so I'm trying to think, are there any good like fictional coaches, I guess, so to speak? Like I was trying to think of like uh, Space Jam. Like, Who was the coaches in Space Jam? Would one of those be a good pick? Uh, I don't know. I, I honestly haven't seen Space Jam in so long, but yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question fictional character because you could go so many different avenues with this i mean fictional character you could pick like a greek god basically that would be like all-knowing and just be able to do whatever you know or you know you could pick you know or maybe you could pick like a superhero that would have the ability to foresee what would happen and so they could call plays that would be perfect or whatever so maybe that would be the route probably the best route to go there (laughs) but uh yeah uh so that's the last question from jeff Appreciate all the questions for the KMO bag this week. As always, uh, once again, if you didn't get a question in, don't worry. We're going to do this segment again next week. You can hit us up and head over to uh, our Twitter at RCST1320 on Twitter or X. If you don't have social media, 
rcsd1320 am at gmail.com. You can submit a question that way as well. Uh, anyway, you can get us a question and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll answer it. We'll answer it on uh, next week's edition of the KMO Bag. That's it for this week's edition of the KMO Bag, though. Uh, once again, a short show here. We're going to be out here in just about 10 minutes or so. We're going to take a quick time out when we come back. I'll get to uh, Rock Chalk Pickahawk plus uh, KU game picks real quick before we switch over to coverage of pregame coverage of KU men's basketball. That's coming up here in just a few short minutes. We'll take a time out. When we come back, we're up to the show with the Rock Chalk Pickahawk and game picks. Coming up next, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. got a few minutes here left on RCST today before we switch over to coverage of KU men's basketball for the Crimson and Blue show here on KLWN. Uh, some breaking news literally just a minute ago uh, while we were in break. It uh, seems as though Alabama head coach Nick Saban is retiring. So uh, might have to dive deeper into that on tomorrow's show. Don't have much time for it here as we wrap up here today's show with uh, coverage of KU men's basketball coming up in just a few minutes here. Did want to quickly get to our Rock Chalk Pickahawk and game picks. Uh, so Derek, even though he is out, managed to I managed to uh, get a hold of him uh, via text, and we did our Pickahawk that way to ensure that the the integrity of Pickahawk. Derek eleven and six so far this season. I am six and eleven against Derek. Uh, I had the first pick. There was some a bit of a kerfluffle before the last game about the pick, but uh, I had the first pick for this upcoming game against UCF. I went with Hunter Dickinson. Derek went with Kevin McCuller and KJ Adams. I went with Johnny Furphy and Jamari McDowell. Derek then finished it off with Parker Brown and Dewan Harris, and I got El Marco Jackson for my last pick. So I decided to use a bit of a different a bit of a different strategy. I went for a couple of the bench players, thinking if they don't play as much, but maybe they can be more efficient. So I got Furphy and McDowell along with Hunter Dickinson, Hunter Dickinson and El Marco Jackson. Derek has Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams, Parker Brown, and Dewan Harris. So that's our Rock Chalk Pickahawk. We'll tabulate that up for tomorrow's show and see. Uh, if I can get back in the win column, because uh, I haven't been very good this season. I did win Pickahawk in totality last season, though, so I'm definitely better uh, in Pickahawk than Derek. But right now, I'm down by five games, so trying to get back in the win column. Uh, for our KU basketball game picks uh, on the year, I'm 22 and 15 and one. Derek is 25 and 12 and one. Uh, we picked the line, picked the over/under, and a favorite prop. Uh, so the line for tonight's game was uh, seven and a half on DraftKings. Over under 145, 144 and a half, basically. Uh, so Kansas minus seven and a half. I have gone with Kansas in this game. Uh, UCF just lost by 25 to uh, Kansas State. Uh, I, I get the sense that Kansas might be able to roll in this game a little bit, especially if they get going early. Uh, I, I don't know. I just I think this game could get could be comfortable for Kansas. I don't think they'll blow out UCF, but I think they're going to be able to keep an arm at arm's length for a majority of the game. I'll take Kansas to cover. Derek also likes Kansas. He picked Kansas as well. And with the over-under, uh, 144 and a half, I have taken the under on that one. I, I, I feel like this game is going to go under. Uh, I like the under here on 144 and a half. I just think that, yes, UCF likes to play at a faster pace, but not at the same pace that, that TCU likes to play at. And I think Kansas will do a better job of controlling the tempo of this game, and they'll want to slow things down a little bit. I'm guessing that might be a, a priority for Bill Self, especially for the KU offense of, hey, you know, let's take our time, let's execute, and let's be methodical in what we do. So I like the under here. Derek has gone with the over in this game, over 145, over 144 and a half, depending on what number you look at. Uh, and then for the prop bets, Derek has gone with KJ Adams over 19 and a half points plus rebounds plus assists. And I was looking at KJ Adams. I like KJ Adams as well here. I gone with KJ Adams over 12.5 points at even money. So if you like KJ Adams to score tonight, you'll take that. 
All right, that's it for Rock Chalk Sports Talk today as we switch over to pregame coverage of KU Men's Basketball coming up in just a minute here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much to our guest earlier in the show, Henry Greenstein. This has been RCST. We'll be back from 3 to 6 tomorrow afternoon right here on KLWN. See ya. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.